coming up on Stu Does America. If you're part of the left supporting Joe Biden right now, then I'm guessing you don't have too deep an understanding of his policy or voting record. We try to drill down to the truth with conservative reviews, Daniel Horowitz, and what's the difference between the RNC and violent mobs? Well, the media coverage of their social distancing policies, of course. The resurgence, Drew Holden has all the evidence. I'm not saying this show is the next Gangnam Style, I'm not. But maybe it could be the next baby by Justin Bieber. I mean, why not? For that to happen, though, we need you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And please like our videos, even this one right now, before you forget or I say something that pisses you off. Okay, so we all know that 2020 is the year that destroyed everything we enjoy and love. Tonight, let's do Jim Gaffigan. Stu does America. It's important and fair as an honest observer that I admit my biases up front. And so I will admit them. I like Jim Gaffigan. I'm a fan. He really is a craftsman when it comes to comedy. I legitimately think he's an all-time great. Of course, that's not why he's been in the news lately, unfortunately. He's been in the news because of a Twitter rant that he unloaded on the world that pissed a lot of his fans off. We all have these moments where we want to do something over and over again. We really want to do it and we get tempted by it. But then again, we pause and we reconsider. We do a mini cost-benefit analysis and think better of it. Yet that voice keeps popping up in the back of our heads over and over and over again until one day we say, F it! We justify it by saying, F it! I, I just can't take it anymore! Or, F it! Somebody has to say something! Or, F it! I'm sufficiently drunk enough to not care right now! And it's in that moment, that effort moment, where we make most of the worst mistakes we will ever make in our entire lives. This is what appears to have happened with Jim Gaffigan, who spent his whole career generally avoiding politics. And when he did delve into the cesspool, he was disarming and understanding and above all, funny about it. But the other night he said, effort, and went on Twitter, the opening line of so many sad stories. Here is some of what he wrote. Look, Trumpers, I get it. As a kid, I was a Cubs fan, and I know you stick by uh, by your team no matter what. But he's a traitor and a con man who doesn't care about you. Deep down, you know it. I'm sure you enjoy pissing people off, but you know Trump is a liar and a criminal. By the way, you can't be against cancel culture and tell people to stay out of politics. You know that time you did a job and didn't get paid? That's Trump, and you know it. (laughs) Okay, Uh, look, there's a little misunderstanding here about cancel culture. You absolutely can tell comedians to stay out of politics and still hate cancel culture. What you can't do is try to get Jim Gaffigan fired or ruin his career over his comments. And then, of course, also say that you hate cancel culture. I guess you could do that, but then you'd be very inconsistent or you'd be a progressive. One of the two. More from his Twitter rant. I know you hate snobs and elites. I get it. But look at Ivana and that douchebag Gerard. Gerard. (laughs) Think they are on your side? Do you think they've ever done a real day's work in their lives? Wake up. He says wake up a lot through this. I don't know what Ivanka and Jared did to deserve this one, but I'm going to go ahead and doubt that Jim Gaffigan has ever been the single person on earth most responsible for putting together the first Israeli-Arab peace deal in the last quarter century. I mean, I'm just saying, if you're going to pick a time to be critical of Jared Kushner, this is not really it. Gaffigan saw a lot of the pushback and said this to those of you who think I'm destroying my career. Wake up. 
If Trump gets elected, the economy will never come back. This is a pretty weird criticism of Trump. Yes, we have a global pandemic that has shattered the economy, but it was in a really good place for the other 90 percent of Trump's presidency. Jim Gaffigan himself sold a lot of tickets to a lot of people who had a lot of disposable income during the Trump presidency. The Trump economy has been pretty good to Jim Gaffigan. I don't think there are a lot of serious people who think an economic rebound is going to be a problem if, and this is a big if, we keep the COVID situation under control. Gaffigan then reacted to a comment from former Notre Dame uh, football coach and Trump supporter Lou Holtz. F. Lou <laughs> F. Lou Holtz. That's just a weird sentence. Biden is a Catholic in name only? Compared to who? How many abortions did Trump pay for? How many women has he raped? <laughs> How many times did he pull this S that he did in Ukraine? Wake up. He's a crook and a con man. I included this one mainly because I laughed at his wife's public response on Twitter. Uh, no need to curse, though. <laughs> and then he wrote, OK, fine. I mean, sure, accuse him of paying for abortions and rape without any evidence. But, you know, the language, that's where we draw the line, honey. Just a couple of tweets later, he was dropping the F-bomb again. I don't give an F if uh, anyone thinks this is virtue signaling or whatever. We need to wake up. We need to call Trump the con man and thief that he is. Trump derangement syndrome is part of the con. Wake up. You know Fox News is biased and full of loons. It's how they gaslight and silence criticism. Do you think any of those congressional Republicans really believe in Trump or do they fear him? Uh, and they don't want to end up like Jeff Flake. Look, no one wants to end up like Jeff Flake. I'm, on that, we can totally agree. If you don't know Jim Gaffigan, this probably sounds like any other generic resistance Hollywood celebrity. But this is completely out of character for him. After hearing those comments on Fox, listen to this interview with Joe Rogan on the same subject. Take note of the difference in his tone here. I did this interview and I talked about it and and I could see the interviewer go, you're friends with someone that works at Fox. And I'm like, that's who that was. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. He's not a monster. Yeah. He's not killing, you know, he's not putting children in cages. Well, I'm he's, good friends with Steve Hilton. He has a show on Fox. He interviewed Trump. Uh, my family and his family yeah. go on vacations together. And nice it's, guy. It's like, why? Like, it's, it's, it's this strange thing where I'm like, I can understand how important these beliefs are. And I can understand how threatening um, democracy is. And I can understand how we have to face our history and and all these things. But it's like the discourse has to remain, doesn't it? Yes. We have to be able to talk to each other. How could that be the same person? And the craziest part, that was a clip with Joe Rogan uh, from only one year ago. That was close to three full years into the Trump presidency. 2020, you bastard. You bastard. Seriously, 2020 is just breaking people. The combination of the pandemic, the racial protests and riots and the election is taking relatively normal people and turning them all into Sean King. And I should point out the only person who is whiter than Jim Gaffigan is Sean King. Honestly, I'm somewhat disappointed simply because if Gaffigan was going to go, you know, full resistance, I'd at least think he'd be good at it. Though I suppose it is his first day on the job. Maybe I should give him a little bit of a break. 
In case you thought this was the one kind of late night rant, he was back on Instagram talking about his Philadelphia show the next day in full MAGA mockery mode. Amazingly, there was no violence given this is one of those dangerous Democratic run cities, blah, 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 blah. As I said, 2020 is breaking everyone. I give you this advice and I sincerely mean this. There are a lot of people you probably have in your life that are going completely insane right now. You can choose to take their insanity personally and eliminate them from your life forever. Or you can choose to act like they don't exist until November 4th. Those are really the only two choices. This is going to get worse, not better until then. I think we tend to believe this is revealing who they really are. But I don't know. I don't buy that. People don't act like who they really are when they are insane. And everyone is insane right now. If you're going to engage with someone about politics, make it someone who seems genuinely undecided or honestly questioning. If they're spouting resistance nonsense, mute them until November 4th. Then you can pick it back up. What's crazy about Jim Gaffigan is he's a guy who actually is capable of talking to people who are undecided. But with this sort of effort moment, he's destroyed any influence he could have had because now no Trump voter is going to listen to him. He wrote another post on his Facebook page trying to explain his thinking. Quote, I am perceived as apolitical, and that is somewhat intentional. I learned early in my stand-up career, people don't want to hear about politics from me. I knew me talking about politics wasn't changing any minds and was only alienating half the audience. Right! So don't do it, right? That's what you do. Why would you do it? Because of that effort moment, right? He writes, so... If I believe I won't sway any voters, why did I speak out like I did? Honestly, I feel like I had no choice at this point. That's the effort moment talking right there. It's not you making this decision. You had no choice. You had to do that thing that you said you would never do. Don't let others make decisions for you. Don't. You always have a choice. Gaffigan admits he's taking a hit in his career, and he admits he isn't influencing anyone. So why do it? Quote, It felt liberating. Obviously, I can only speak for myself, but I know many of us are tired of censoring everything we say so we don't offend our politically correct friends. But this also applies to our passionate Trump friends, relatives and peers. It was refreshing to let four years of frustration boil over and offer some straight talk on what Trump has done to our country and our democracy. And that's the core of this. It's at the core of every effort moment. It's about you. It's about feeling good. It's a selfish satisfaction that you can convince yourself is filled with altruism and martyrdom. And that's why it's so tempting. But while it feels good, it isn't effective. I think we all feel the same way. I feel like being from a red state or from a flyover area that sometimes people on the East Coast or in L.A., there is there's this dismissiveness of people that hold differing viewpoints. Rather than having a discussion, there's just like this, well, Well, they're morons. And the thing about that that worries me, that people are either supportive of Trump or are angry about Trump, is that there's an absence of dialogue. Instead of saying to someone that supports Trump, like, what is it? What do you like about Trump? There's this self-satisfaction of, like, you're an idiot. And that's not how you convince someone. And that's the sort of point I would think Jim Gaffigan would agree with. In fact, I'm pretty sure of it. I feel like being from a red state or from a flyover area that sometimes people on the East Coast or in L.A., there is this dismissiveness of people that hold 
differing viewpoints, rather than having a discussion, there's just kind of like, well, they're morons. And, and the thing that worries me about people that are, you know, supportive or Trump, of Trump or angry about Trump, there's this absence of dialogue. Instead of saying to someone that supports Trump, like, what is it? What is it that you like? There is this self-satisfaction of like, you're an idiot. And that's not how you convince someone. It's a great point, Jim. Look, is Jim Gaffigan's career over? I, I sincerely doubt it. The guy's a legend of, of comedy. I love him, and I'll still watch him. And my guess is, honestly, after November 4th, he's not going to want to live in the constant hellscape that is modern politics. A lot of you are like me. I'm a big boy. I can handle someone with disagreeing viewpoints. I can handle uh, someone who hates what I believe in and still enjoy their work. But there's a lesson for all of us here as we approach this election and beyond. Think about how you felt when you heard about those tweets. As he was calling everyone idiots and ranting angrily and out of control, how did it make you feel? Did you feel any closer to considering a vote for Joe Biden? I doubt it. And that's what we can learn from this. If we act like 2020's version of Jim Gaffigan when trying to convince people of our point of view, a few things are going to happen. It's going to feel really good to us. Our like-minded friends are going to high-five us and like our posts. And then we're going to fail. Just like Jim Gaffigan won exactly zero voters over to his cause with that rant, we're going to win exactly zero voters over to our cause, whatever that cause happens to be at the time. That doesn't mean that you can't rant and rave to your friends as a little bit of political therapy from time to time. I don't hold back on this show because I do it for you. You took the time to subscribe to this podcast or on YouTube or on Pluto or Blaze TV. We're kind of all in this mass therapy thing together every night, and so we just let it fly. But when your goal is to persuade someone who might be undecided, losing your mind and unloading on them might make you feel good. Your friends might like it. But in the end, you're going to fail. We will fail. You will fail. We will fail. The country will fail. And the stakes are too high for failure. I want to tell you about Black Rifle Coffee Company. Mm, yes, the best coffee you can buy. They offer a variety of roast profiles from light, medium, and dark, all sourced from around the world through a rigorous process and roasted in the U.S. at the Black Rifle Coffee Company facilities in Tennessee and Utah. Look, they, these are guys, they're, they're former military guys. They, they work hard to get you the best possible product. It's cool. They got all sorts of great varieties. The coffee's fantastic. It comes in really cool packaging. It's a fantastic gift. And the best way to enjoy Black Rifle Coffee is through their coffee club, a free subscription uh, where your chosen uh, coffee is roasted, packaged, and shipped free to your door on schedule. You also receive a special discounted price and gain access to exclusive products, member-only content. Uh, let's see what else they have. They have partner discounts. They have all sorts of cool stuff related to that. 
Black Rifle Coffee also offers fresh apparel and outdoor gear from uh, from all these really cool partners. Uh, the, the new summer collection is something I think you're really going to enjoy. Just check it out. Go to the website. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash stew. Blackriflecoffee.com slash stew. Be sure to use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. And you'll get 20% off your first purchase. We have this at our house. My wife drinks it all the time. She loves it. She loves when that package arrives every month. Blackriflecoffee.com slash stew. The promo code is stew for 20% off. Drew Holden is with us. Uh, he was with the resurgent. He's at Drew Holden 360. You should definitely follow him there. Why? Because every once in a while, something pops up like this, and you know it's going to be really good. Uh, it starts with thread. This is from Politico is the first one. But the level of concern the media had for social distancing during the RNC at the White House versus this weekend's protests is something. <laughs> it certainly is. Let me give you a sample from Politico. The seating. This is for the White House thing. The seating arrangement for Trump's acceptance speech uh, at the White House uh, drew scrutiny on social media, especially for pictures closely assembled white folding chairs that were in clear violation of social distancing guidance. Then Politico about the protest. The thousands gathered for the 57th March on Washington on the National Mall on Friday heard civil rights leaders call for policy reform and civic engagement. It is so blatant you wouldn't even believe it uh, if you didn't see it yourself. Drew Holden now uh, joins us. Drew, thanks for coming on the program. Stu, the pleasure's mine. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, man, this one is a really crazy one. I mean, you find so many great examples of these when you do these threads. And again, you should definitely follow at Drew Holden 360. Uh, what made you think of this one as a side-by-side? You know, I, I was going through the coverage during the presentation, and I was thinking to myself, as someone who lives in D.C., I was like, you know, if I remember correctly, there's an enormous protest where there's going to be 50,000 people or more who descend on my city. And I wonder, in my heart of hearts, if they're going to treat that protest the same way as they're absolutely losing their minds over 2,500 people who are all voluntarily arraigned a little bit too close together, perhaps, mm-hmm. based on the social distancing guidelines we have. <laughs> and, and it was uh, very, 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 very true. You found a ton of examples. Let me give you one from BuzzFeed. An estimated 1,500 people were expected at the White House for our Trump's RNC speech. D.C. rules prohibit gatherings of more than 50 people, but federal property such as the White House is exempt from the rule. Of course, they're exempt from the rule. Uh, the other one from sure. BuzzFeed, if we have the tweets, uh, activists at the White House on wa- uh, uh, March on Washington say Jacob Blake's shooting was re-energi- re-energized Black Lives Matter protests. They wish it didn't have to. Again, true, like, you know, as someone who is um, uh, it takes the COVID stuff seriously, there's a lot of people who kind of think, ah, it's no big deal. We should just go out and do whatever we want. Sure. Like, I, I take it seriously. At times I battle with some of my friends over it and they bring me examples like this and say, yep. hey, they, this obviously isn't real. Look at this. No one's cr- they're gathering in groups of 50,000. Why would yep. I take it seriously? And they've got a great point. They do. And that's the thing. You know, I'm, I find myself in the same camp as you. I take it seriously. I think the guidelines are worthwhile and valuable. I think that there's times they certainly go overboard and we should probably be in a different phase or stage or whatever you want to call it than we are now. But it's really, really hard to look at someone who's more skeptical and say, yes, I know you just saw those tens of thousands of people all packed closely together, all shouting, right? One of the things that raises a lot of concerns for doctors when they talk about social distancing restrictions. Uh, ignore them. Don't look at them. Uh, your, your church gathering of 50 people, uh, that it, can't, it can't happen. Uh, there's simply too many. Yeah, I mean, there were times that they were actually busting up outdoor 
to pull your car into church service. They were breaking yeah. those places up. And then they were the Black Lives Matter rallies come around. And, and we have to understand that racism is a more public or more serious public health issue than the coronavirus. Look, racism is really serious. And I wanted to go. I wanted to get the hell away. Uh, but the uh, yeah. coronavirus is, is a serious thing. It's a global pandemic we have going on. Exactly, Sue. And, you know, what kills me is that it's not even just, you know, the the comparing side by side of two different political things, as as I think you've seen, is pretty egregious. But it's important to remember that it wasn't always just this, right? These are people, there are people out there who couldn't have funerals. These Mm. are people whose small businesses were destroyed because of these distancing requirements, because people, predominantly conservatives, played by the rules. They said, okay, you know what? 15 days to slow the spread. I get we're 10 times over that, whatever it might be. These are the rules. We're going to abide by the rules. And to see other people show up and not follow any of those rules and not follow any of those restrictions, it makes a mockery of them. And I, I don't know how you can say in good faith to someone else, yes, they definitely believe it. Right. I think for for conservatives, it takes a little bit more to be able to go out and believe that these things are necessary and that they're worth the trade off. But it's it's laughable when you see the other side behaving like this. Yeah. Let me give you another one. This is from CBS. This is from the thread. Again, you can go get the whole thing. And there's dozens of examples. (laughs) Unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, you can get from Drew. This is from CBS. uh, If we could pull this one up. Um, uh, One of their experts says uh, uh, President Trump was trying to put the pandemic in the rear view and the crowd of the RNC speech is a picture of what the president wants to be in the U.S., which is a crowd that appears to be normal. That is not social distancing. Then CBS News covering the protests of 50,000 people 57 years after Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. Thousands converge in D.C. for another march on Washington. And then that exact expert says hundreds of protesters right outside the perimeter of the White House are aiming to disrupt the president's speech with noise pollution. And it's like, well, what? Uh, huh? Aren't you uh, that, terrified? That one kills me. Yeah. Uh, that, that one kills me. I mean, there are, these things are happening simultaneously. They're across the street. <laughs> right. They are on the same block. <laughs> like, how, can you, how can you not just for a split second? And if, if you've seen the pictures, I mean, there's tons of people packed far more closely together than they are at the RNC, many of whom are wearing masks, many of whom are shouting and cheering and whatever and sloganeering and whatever. Uh, it it, it, it boggles belief, right? It, it boggles the mind that anyone in good faith could look at those two things and only be concerned about one of them. Yeah. And you see this over and over again. I, I keep coming back. We had an expert on uh, the radio show uh, a few weeks ago who was talking about masks and, you know, we were trying to like mm-hmm. go back and forth and see, you know, w- are they worth wearing? Are they not worth wearing? And I, I made a point to the guy that like my wife, when she goes into a grocery store, runs her mouth constantly and talks to every single person. When I go to a grocery <laughs> store, okay, I'm a guy. I walk to the beer aisle. I walk to the chip yep. aisle. I walk to the the, uh, the exit. Well, I usually pay yep. too. But I mean, I have very little interaction with anyone. When someone talks to me, I maybe nod politely. Uh, you know, is that as bad? And, and as he pointed out, it's not. There is a difference there, like singing, yeah. chanting. I will give you another great example. Screaming at somebody in the face for not wearing their mask is a really yeah. uh, uh, easy way to spread this stuff. And th- yeah. it seems like the media is doing everything they can to take the issues they like and approve them and ignore the COVID thing. And when they can use COVID to push down things they don't like, they do that. And that is what people are seeing through. Yeah, I, I think you're I think that's spot on. You know, I was I, I haven't gone back to mass uh, here in D.C., but I was out visiting my my parents a couple of weeks ago in Massachusetts and we went to mass uh, and my, my dad had to shush me because we, we have to sing in our hearts uh-huh. because the social the social distancing guidance is what they are. And fine. I get that. I understand if that's the guidelines, if if singing and talking raises the prospect of this thing, then so be it. But Stu, we can't 
we can't we can't live in a society that has two sets of rules for two different people and use a cudgel as big as a global pandemic to wield those two different sets of rules mm. and i mean it's you know i think we've we're what we're at like 170 days or so of, of 15 days to slow the spread <laughs> eventually conservatives are just going to get fed up with it and i don't blame them right i think for a long time i was also trying to be one of those voices to you know to my conservative friends to people on twitter whoever it was to say no no like this is what we have to do it's in, it's inconvenient it's unpleasant sure but you got to do it right i don't want to i don't want to go to the gym wearing a mask more than the next guy but and as soon as you start seeing that other people aren't taking those rules seriously, it really undermines your case for something that we've at least been told to believe is really, really important. Mm. Um, we have about one minute left here, Drew. I- I'm curious, when you post one of these things, because you've done this, this is like a legendary thing on Twitter now, where Drew Holden has, <laughs> has his list of receipts. When you do this, do these people reach out to you? Do they get pissed at you? Do they block you? What happens? What's the, what's the outcome? It's, that's interesting. So, um, Almost always they ignore it. I think a lot of my, my usual suspects probably have me muted. I've been <laughs> blocked on two occasions. Uh, Molly Youngfast blocked me after one mention, not surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had an entire thread devoted to Rick Wilson, who, um, I mean, I told I said that he hadn't been right since before Y2K. And for whatever reason, he blocked me too. Those are the only two who have blocked me. I, I've had one or two people reach out and say, hey, I, I don't think that's right. I've had back and forth conversations with them. And I've either kept or in most cases excluded the tweet, mm-hmm. deleted it, called it out in the thread. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, Stu, usually, usually when these things go up, um, the, the name of the game is to ignore. Uh, and that's, that's all I get. I mean, I'm almost shocked that I don't get more pushback than I end up getting. Uh, it's on these amazing. Things, these are there's things, almost none. It's true. Uh, Drew Holden from the resurgent. You got to see these, uh, drew at drew Holden, three sixty. drew. Thanks for coming on the program. Back in a second. Thanks, sir. Trying to be, uh, buy or sell a home in these times can be challenging. It really can. Uh, that's why you need a real estate agent who is going to come in and take charge for you. No matter what has to happen, whether you need the house painted, if you need to replace the stairs, if you've got problems, maybe you need the house set in a way so that people can actually uh, come in and it doesn't look like a dump. You know, you might need that. I don't know what your furniture tastes are. They may be terrible. A real estate agents I trust.com can see this for you. They can help you get the best price for your home. Or if you're looking for a new home, they can be your advocate. If you're moving to a new area, this is a great thing to do because if you just trust some random name on a bench, you're probably going to get, you're probably going to get screwed. Uh, you need to go to someone who's already been screened. Real estate agents I trust.com is the company. Uh, you can rest assured that you're going to be treated really well. Real estate agents I trust is the name of the game. Uh, it's the name says it all, really. Real realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there now. Check it out. realestateagentsitrust.com. Excuse me a moment. I'm just finishing writing something with this fantastic Nancy Pelosi sucks pen. You should get it. nancypelosisuckspen.com. The reason I bring it up is because of this story that is breaking this afternoon. Uh, Pelosi uh, needed to get her hair done. The problem, of course, is that she's made sure that, you know, everyone shuts down all of their businesses everywhere. So none of the hair salons are open. Uh, so she just, of course, you know, she's Nancy Pelosi, though. She gets to do whatever she wants. So she texted, uh, had her assistant. She didn't text, of course. Had her assistant text the hair salon and said, hey, uh, I'm gonna get my, I need to get my hair done. Open up. And so the hairstylist said, okay, and, and, and messaged the, uh, the person who owns the salon said, we need, can I open up tomorrow? Because Nancy Pelosi wants to come in and get her hair done. Well, this pissed off the salon owner who has not been able to ho- open up their business. They took pictures. They uh, turned over the text to Fox News. And uh, now we have Nancy Pelosi not only getting her hair cut and washed and blow dried or whatever she was doing. Um, during the pandemic, when she clo- when you know all these businesses were closed down, she also was walking around the hair salon without a mask. Unfreaking believable. These people... 
in Washington, these these leftist elites, they are better than you in their view, and they can do whatever they the hell they want. Uh, that's that's 100 percent true. Uh, they just don't see any use in you. They don't care what you they they get to control what you're doing. They get to do whatever they want to do. Unbelievable. It's Fox News exclusive. You can check that one out online. I was also fascinated by this one. Kamala Harris, uh, who helped bail out. Um, all these people who were in the riots. And, you know, that was a trendy thing to do for a little while. People were telling, uh, she wrote, if, if you're able to chip in now to the MNF free, uh, Freedom Fund to help post bail for those protesting on the ground in Minnesota. And, you know, it fits in with the sort of liberal talking point, right? Uh, we're trying to, those mean police officers are so mean and angry and bad, and we'll be good to them and say, uh, you know, uh, to these protesters and, and bail them out because they're all innocent. Well, Apparently, a lot of this money went to real criminals, uh, people who were accused of murder, people who were actually shooting at riot um, police and SWAT teams. Um, one, um, one Christopher Boswell, a twice convicted rapist, currently charged with kidnapping, assault and sexual assault in two separate cases. And um, this foundation, with uh, the help of the vice presidential candidate, candidate of the Democratic Party, paid three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in cash for his release. Uh, they're not going to be able to get out of this. Okay, they've been supporting these rioters the entire time. They're now trying to back off and say, "Oh no, we want law and order too." We swear we can't let them get out of this because this has been. Are, are we supposed to forget history? You guys have been talking about this, these guys, in the most glowing terms for weeks and weeks, and then all of a sudden we're supposed to reverse course and believe that you guys are tough on crime. I can't. I, the, the American people better not fall for this nonsense. I want to give you this one one other uh, story. This one's from Taiwan. Um, this is what it feels like to be caught up in the news every day. She was at a uh, she was at a kite festival. Got tangled in the kite. Apparently, big gust of wind comes. She's three years old. Up in the air she goes. There's video. Here it is. You see her kind of uh, kind of flapping around. She's holding on. All of a sudden, it starts taking off, and then, uh oh, in the air. And there's the three year old up in the air, and way up in the air, like a hundred feet up in the air. And holy crap, is she high in the air. She flaps around up there for a long time, man. How is she holding on to this? She had to just be wrapped. It had to be totally wrapped around her. Everyone's down below trying to catch her. Finally, the kite gets closer to the ground. I mean, she's up there for a good 30 seconds and finally comes back towards the ground. They grab her, and she's okay. She's safe. An amazing piece of video, though, from Taiwan. And that should teach you a lesson. Kites kill. Back in a second. How much of the Biden's been compromised by the Chinese communist regime? Find out in the bombshell documentary Riding the Dragon, exclusive to Blaze TV. We talked uh, to Peter Schweizer, uh, who uh, was on the program earlier this week and went through some of it. you got to see the whole thing if you haven't yet. If you're a Blaze TV subscriber, you can watch it all right now. From the directors uh, behind the explosive Clinton Cash comes a new revealing documentary showing how, for decades, the Biden family has used Joe Biden's public service to line their own pockets. But the alarming scandal is much deeper 
than a public official's corruption. Riding the Dragon reveals how and why the Chinese Communist Party gave Joe Sun's private equity firm a sweetheart deal that no one else was getting, including the biggest firms in the world, worth in excess of a billion dollars. Become a Blaze TV subscriber and watch the documentary in its entirety. If you start your free trial today and save 20 bucks off a one-year subscription with the code DRAGON20, if you go to blazetv.com slash stew, just use the code uh, DRAGON20. Uh, you won't want to miss this one. Dragon 20 is the code for 20% off. Uh, it's at blazetv.com. So I'm watching the uh, Republican National Convention, and I think it's going pretty well. Like, I, there's a lot there to like, I think. And this one refrain keeps coming back over and over and over again. And it's basically bashing Joe Biden, which I'd expect that and I agree with it. But it's bashing him for the 1994 crime bill. And I kept thinking to myself... Wasn't that good? (laughs) That's legitimately where I am. Uh, And I was like, you know who I need to talk to about this is Conservative Review's Daniel Horowitz. He's going to know all the answers about this. Daniel joins me now. Daniel, thanks for coming on the program, man. Great to be with you. I was scratching my head a lot during that convention as well. (laughs) Right, because the 1994 crime bill was something that was passed, I thought, with overwhelming Republican support. Like, this was an idea that really was a a victory for Republicans at the time. Is that the right way of remembering it? And and what's changed? This is part of a broader issue, much bigger than the 94 crime bill. Um, When I was younger, and, you know, a lot of people who are maybe above a certain age will remember it better than I did, but we had a major crime problem in this country Reagan kicked off an agenda to finally get serious about locking up career criminals, about dealing with these liberal judges that would let go these violent criminals. They'd have, you know, six ways from Sunday for them to be released early or never get sentenced, never get convicted. And that started the 80s and it really crystallized with this 94 crime bill. Now, the the beauty of the bill wasn't so much what it did, but what it induced in the states. It used a lot of funding mechanisms to encourage and incentivize states to lock up criminals. Hmm. Um, just like we have to update education and other things as the population grows, healthcare. Well, you got to update the prisons. I mean, because the bad guys get a vote and they commit crimes. And I know it's not so popular to spend money on prisons, but I mean, you got to do that. Mm-hmm. So they did that. And the biggest thing they had was truth in sentencing. And it was this principle that. Well, if you deserve 10 years in prison, you kind of get 10 years because what was happening is a 10 year sentence would rapidly turn into a two year sentence. And what what ensued as a result of that and Reagan's measures was a culture within the justice system to focus on the victim of crime, which was really Reagan's vision when he started out with his commission in 1981 to have the system focused on the victim of crime. Mm -hmm. And what happened was something remarkable, probably, Stu, the only positive social trend in our lifetime. We had a 70 percent decline in murder and violent crime. Mm. Um, You know, there's this talking point about, oh, we locked up a bunch of blacks. Now, obviously, blacks do commit a disproportionate amount of violent crime, but criminals are a very small percentage of people. Most blacks are law abiding people, but they are also disproportionately the victims of those crimes. Mm -hmm. If you look at the trajectory of crime from 94 had we not broke, it broke around 95. By 2014, we would have had 
15 million more violent crimes committed against blacks. And according to, to a Manhattan Institute analysis, that works out to be 7.2 million aggravated assaults, 7.3 million robberies, 334,000 sexual assaults, and nearly 130,000 black lives in ter terms of homicides. Wow. That, that is what we did. The last couple years, both parties decided to undo that, let out a bunch of criminals, and now really crystallizing with the coronavirus jailbreak of over 100,000 criminals. And guess what? Crime is going back up <laughs> after a generation of going down. I, for the life of me, for all the radical <laughs> things about both Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, why would you pick their past history, use that to accentuate their current radical position? I just don't get it, Stu. Yeah, you know, I mean, I keep falling back at the same place where I think you are as well, uh, Danielle, where it's just, you know, they they emphasize this over and over and over again to make it look like, I guess, and, and I understand, I guess, the politics of it, right? They're trying to play to maybe minority voters, maybe voters in the middle, I don't know. But this idea that, you know, taking criminals who have committed crimes, have been convicted of committing crimes, and letting them out on the street more often obviously leads to more crimes. This is, you can read about this in Freakonomics, you can read about this in a million different places, studies from the FBI. Of course, recidivism is a thing, right? We know this is a thing. So the idea that being too tough on crime is the criticism of Kamala Harris and Joe Biden to me is, is just this, I, I guess because we're, you know, like, you know, we don't want Kamala Harris and Joe Biden to be president. We're supposed to ignore it and just assume and just go cheer it on because of the politics. But it doesn't make any sense to me. I can't live in that world. No, it, it doesn't. The way to go is to criticize their current position, which is jeopardizing certainly America's suburbs, but really more importantly, black neighborhoods. I mean, I, I once worked this out a couple weeks ago. If you look at the excess homicides of this year compared to last year, the last couple of years, you would likely come out to about 1,500 more black homicide victims this year as a wow. result of the, the hands-off policing, which has been induced by the BLM agenda, by the Harris-Biden agenda. I mean, that is the way you have your cake and eat it, too. That is the way you make an argument based on your principle. You don't win um, based on adopting the other side's view like, hey, I'll let out more criminals than you guys did. Hey, you know, you know, Trump's going to sign on to this. And, you know, when Obama didn't, that's not the way to go. That's ridiculous. It's this short sighted view. I would say really from Jared Kushner, that's the driving force in the White House, that somehow this is how you appeal to the black vote. But I think that's really very insulting because you're appealing to the black criminal vote at the expense of of the overwhelming majority who are more victimized by it than anyone else. Let's not forget more than half of the violent crime in this country is committed by gangs. And when you're talking about the Bloods and the Crips, um, the victims are are almost all black. I mean, that that's that's the sad reality of this. And when you you talk about the drug offenses and the gun offenses, the repeat offenders with that, these are the guys in the gangs committing the other violent crimes. When you let them out, you are going to have a bloodbath. And you know, Stu, sadly, we don't have to speculate about that. We see the results in almost every major city in front of our eyes. Mm. Yeah, it's, you know, you know, when we especially when we're we're talking about a campaign that seemingly the slogan is law and order. 
And then to sit here and criticize the 94 crime bill is so strange. And it wasn't just crime uh, throughout the convention. And again, I think there's a lot of good things at the convention. I'm, I'm not saying it was a, it was sure. it was all bad by any means. But like, hey, we're talking about uh, family medical leave. We're talking about, um, hey, I can't believe that Joe Biden took so long to get on board for gay marriage. Hey, I can't I can't believe we you know criminal <laughs> justice reform. We're not doing enough of that. Like there were times where I mean, you know, Ivanka's speech could have been made at a Democratic convention. Right? Oh, yeah. Straight out word for word without really changing much of anything. I, I guess it's just is it just the politics? Is this something we should just get over and realize that they're just reaching for votes in the middle? No, it's do This has nothing to do with the election. This has been going on every day of this administration since January 20th, uh, 20, 2017. And that is there is a fight for the heart and soul of this administration, of this presidency. And it's going on every day from now until the election. And and it will go on, hopefully, in a second term of President Trump unless we put an end to it. And that is there's the Kushner wing of the party and there's the real MAGA folks that are trying to implement the president's promised agenda of law and order, among many other issues. And you almost saw that at the convention, the two wings on display. Like you're saying, Mm. you would hear one speech, which was MAGA, then the other one, which would be almost contradicting of it. Uh, you read the text of Trump's own speech and it was mainly MAGA, but you know, it had kind of Jared's imprint here and there. And, and, and that's really what it's been. Um, sadly, the, the Republican party as a whole has not changed. I, I think we need to recognize that, uh, the, the reason people voted for Trump in that primary, uh, five years ago is because they, they were sick of the Republican Party business as usual. They, they understood mm-hmm. that they are not even a speed bump in the inexorable road to, to socialism, to decrepit values, to anarchy now. They understood that. If you look at the primary results last time, more than 70 percent of voters in any given state in the primary voted for uh, Trump or Cruz and ultimately picked Trump. Mm-hmm. But the two together were kind of you know against the establishment, and that's what the party wanted. They, they, we, we got Trump, but the party at large really hasn't changed. So you're kind of seeing that struggle. Yeah. And I think we need to remember as we work towards this election, there's an election every day to influence policy decisions uh, now until November. But thereafter, there will be another election. And that will be, are we going to have more of the Ken Cuccinelli's running immigration, for example, or are we going to have the the Kushners of the world? Are we going to have the Steve Mnuchin's of the world? I mean, these are questions that we really need to start asking. Cool. And one more, uh, let me have one more here for you, uh, Daniel. We've got about 30 seconds left. Um, the 1994 crime bill, it's there. Um, it, it's been discussed. Do, is there an update to it? What's the right thing for Trump to do? It's not just disregarded an attack of Biden. What is the right thing for him to do? Sure. We we need an update of it. The courts over the years have gutted it. And remember, this was more in the states. The Mm -hmm. states reversed all these policies. They're letting out criminals so fast. We don't even know what to do with them. But first, the president needs to deal with insurrection and he needs to draw upon the Insurrection Act. He needs to call in federal troops and crush the rebellion. Right now, what we have is not even a crime issue. That's secondary. There is a an insurrection in this country that needs to be put down. All right, Daniel Horowitz, Conservative Review. You can always get his podcast as well as check out the site. Daniel, thanks so much for coming on the program. Take care. All right, back in a second.
Love getting your reviews on iTunes. It fuels this show. Had our biggest week ever last week. Thanks so much for that. Uh, five stars is the appropriate number of stars on the reviews. Remember that. Uh, this one comes in. It says, I mean, I mean, it doesn't make me want to jump in front of a dump truck. Five freaking stars. Okay, we'll, t- you know, we'll, we'll take it. Uh, this one, shower time. I listen to Stu in the shower. I've laughed so hard I almost cut myself shaving my legs. I bet Stu won't read this on the air. Whatever. Still better than chewing the fat. Totally agree with the chewing the fat part. I will also agree um, on this because this is kind of like our main demographic, which are people that are borderline suicidal and people that are shaving. Uh, so we have really good ratings in that demographic. Also, I want to tell you, uh, look, prepare for the election. Get your uh, election gear now at studosmerch.com. Senility now. Not serenity now. Senility now with Joe Biden. Available now at studosmerch.com. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>